Hey there, Liberty lovers. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Scottish Liberty Podcast, episode 39. 39. With me, Tom Laird and the Madcap Ancap. Anthony Samaroff. So, uh, first of all, big shout out to all our listeners on SoundCloud. Because, yeah, uh, yeah we, we, you kind of get forgotten about it because we, when we're doing like gags and things, a lot of it's visual and we forget there's people out there actually listening to us. But we want to know that you should feel the love because yes. we do love you also, all yeah. our SoundCloud listeners. Can you feel the love today? Or whatever yeah. part of the solar sojourn you're on when you're listening you to us. can see us. For those of you who can see us, uh, we are, cheers, We're, Mr. Samar Pan Samarov has made it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. There's a bit of zing in that. Mr. Samarov, what is in? The smoothie, smoothie, the smoothie of the week. Yeah. Well, I didn't have any apples or bananas, so I had to compensate with some plums. It's very zesty. Well, I like your plums, can't I? <laughs> That's what the ladies say. Tasty do. plums, uh, and uh, I don't like the colour, but... Well, you're just a, a smoothie racist. Yeah. Red, red under the bed. Um, plums. <laughs> <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> Someone who's a bit of a plum himself. And I don't know what, I think by that I mean a bit of a Puritan. A bit of a Puritan a bit comes of a across prune, with a bit of a prude. Prune. Yeah, <laughs> a bit prudish. Uh, Peter Hitchens. Peter the, Hitchens. The well-known British intellectual. Not as well-known. bonkers Hitch. <laughs> uh, fated forever to live in the shadow of his deceased brother, mm. the mighty Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. Uh, famous atheist and warmonger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, much reviled of the left in the last years of his life, despite yeah. still considering himself a leftist. Yeah. I think uh, George Galloway called him an ex-Trotsky Poppingy or something like Trotsky Poppingy. But then uh, George uh, Galloway's a fud. So. Well, I, I kind of I, I thought it was quite funny when George Galloway said that Christopher Hitchens was the only example of a butterfly turning back into a slug. <laughs> so, but uh, in a slug. Well, I know it's a pretty bad turn of phrase. Okay. I know that uh, Stephen Fry called uh, Peter Hitchens a slug uh, at one point. Okay, I'm going. To, I'm going to have to come out here. Uh, I'm quite a. I, I like Peter Hitchens. Okay. Always have. Uh, I like his stuff. I don't think he's as good in debate as his brother was, but I, in terms of where they were both coming from on the political spectrum, I had more in common with Peter Hitchens. I do like reading his. I, I do admire his column. Right. Um, but he has but he does a couple of columns. Yeah, he he does come across. I get it. He comes across a lot of the time as a bit of a prude, uh, a bit self righteous, and uh, what was the word you used? Puritanical. A bit puritanical. But uh, I, I I like That's him. Superior. Um, uh, sneering, with, a sneering superiority, when was, possibly. When he was on with um, Russell Brand, lover him or hate him, uh, he had this. Attitude like I don't even know what this pop star is. You know, he's not. He doesn't do music. But you know what this uh, popular figure is yeah. doing on a show like this. Mm. The so-called comedian. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that you know he he is what he's he's fairly intellectual, but more the, to the point, he has been a drug addict. So he has at least some first-hand experience. Or it's kind of like when people say, "Oh." Um, and say you criticise the school system and stuff like that, and they say, "Oh, you're not a teacher or something like that." And it's like, well, I was actually in school for a long period yeah. of time, so I, I think I've got some mm-hmm. type of knowledge. Well, I mean, uh, it's when it came to Peter Hitchens versus Russell Brand, that I have such contempt for Russell right. Brand that I, my sympathies were immediately for uh, for Peter, right. uh, even though I didn't really buy his arguments. Um, Although there's okay, but there's some arguments in amongst the anti-drug groups that I do kind of say okay, but he's got a point there. But um, that's just uh, for anybody who doesn't know, both Peter Hitchens and Christopher Hitchens are ex-trots. Right. Yeah. Um, what's what should? How do you define a trot? What, what makes a Trotskyist different from a Marxist or you know a Leninist or? Now that's a good question. What I tend to see the term used as is basically well if Stalin hadn't led Russia after the death of Lenin but Trotsky had instead mm. things would have been good instead of bad it was just that Stalin was a sociopath 
of course they forget that or they don't know or they deny that Lenin himself was a deeply uh, troubled man at best mm -hmm. who was himself guilty of many atrocities and even those who knew him there's a great episode in Trot Tom Woods on Leon Trotsky and uh, he in many counts fit the description of having sociopathic qualities so it's this myth like Lenin good, Stalin bad. Mm. Uh, actually, it was Lenin bad, Stalin worse. worse. Yeah. And this idealism, this idea that, oh, if Trotsky had won um, and had led the country as Lenin maybe would have wanted, things would have been better. But the thing is, this misses the problem of the Nicene calculation problem, yeah. uh, as explained by Ludwig von Mises in his famous 1920s essay, Calculation of the Socialist Commonwealth, and the um, further explication of that by Hayek in his essay, The Use of Information in Society, where they both explain that socialism doesn't work because without prices, there is no rational way to allocate resources. So I think when I hear Trotsky, I, I just think uh, idealist. Like okay. utopian, utopian, right? Basically, that's what it means to me. But if we have any lefties tuning in, thank mm -hmm. you for getting this far. You can tell us what's the difference between a Trotskyist and an outright Marxist. Okay, cool. And I'm sorry, they used to be both of them sort of. Uh, I think Christopher Hitchens stayed mostly leaning towards the left, although he became a bit almost neocon in, in his later stages. Almost. Whereas, whereas. Um, you could describe probably best describe Peter Hitchens as what uh, uh, well okay without the funny comments paleo conservative. Well, he claims to be a paleo conservative, uh, or does he even? Well, he's and against, yet, yeah, he's against free trade, which suggests that he might be a paleo conservative. So okay, uh, and yet one of the columns we're going to look at today has him basically running down the Thatcher administration. Mm -hmm. So we've got a couple of columns today from Peter Hitchens, okay. and I think what we're going to do is we're going to go through them. Uh, and we're going to go through them, man. Yeah, we're, we're going, going to go through, through them him. and examine the veracity of his remarks. Okay, I'm going to try and stand up for the for the for the hitch. For, well, not for for not the hitch, but the other hitch. Right. So. The the first one is one you brought to my attention. Yeah. 22nd of February, 2017. Stupid arguments for drug legalization examined and refuted. Okay. It's amazing how many times I'm confronted at debates on the internet and in discussions with apparently intelligent people, they're only apparently intelligent, yeah. with the same stupid arguments for weakening the drugs laws. Now, if there's any ever been a good reason to write an article, it's that people making the same annoying arguments over and over again. It's just like, why don't you just read this article and leave me alone? Yeah. By the way, this is what this podcast is for. If you're tired of getting the same arguments again and again, just send them an episode of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. That will sort them out. So it's plain that those who use them haven't thought about them. I don't know if he means the drugs or the arguments. I wonder where they picked them up from. Is it in school, in PHSE oh. classes? Yeah, because in school they were really for drug legal. Well, I'll right? tell you what, I'm surprised he's got this far without mentioning grammar schools already, because like, that's, that's his other pet rant. Whatever, I don't give a flying monkeys what Peter Hitchens is talking about. What the issue is, within at least two minutes, he will be chuntering on about grammar schools. But anyway, he's got a point in grammar schools, but it's, it's just weird how he constantly gets it into an argument. Now this is interesting because I remember in primary school, I don't know where, I, I think I got the idea from my brother, I, I challenged a teacher uh, on saying something about drugs and said that I thought some drugs should be legalised and she basically didn't uh, even acknowledge the argument so much as humiliate me in front of the whole class for suggesting such a thing. Which is a Did she take your trousers down and spank you? Well, this was not allowed in school by was this point. Right, okay. uh, she got the rest of the class to laugh at me. Uh, <laughs> was that worse? Without examining the argument. Well, I can't really compare it. I think it's just... Because uh, um, I got corporal punishment in school. I got strapped and I got strapped on the hand. First time I ever got hit at school by a colleague and teacher was, I think it was five. So, yeah, that's what... I mean, and, 
more often than not, it was boy punishment. Yeah. Right. You know, oh, so it was only the boys. That usually, got it. one of the boys that got it. Right. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Well, they never done me any harm. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you guys you know. can be the judge of that. Yeah. So this idea that he says, or the billionaire drug lord, they found some other way of planting them in the minds of millions through movies, comedians, celebrity endorsements, and so on. This is such a satanic reversal of the truth. I mean, one of the, the drivers behind drugs staying illegal is the billionaire drug lobby. I mean, they really don't want um, competition from uh, illegal drugs. The idea that culture is somehow pushing drug legalization is the, uh, is the opposite of the truth. Okay. There isn't really any good grounds for drugs being illegal, as we'll discover. And um, the, the fact that they are still illegal Okay. As an indication of anyway. Anyway, but first, argument. first, allegedly, idiotic argument number one. Marijuana use is a victimless crime only if you do it on a desert island, quite alone, and nobody loves you. In all cases, the user risks doing harm to himself, and if he does, he's doing it to his family. Okay, but that same would go for alcohol. Indeed, it would go on for. Um, eating junk food, yeah. it would go on for just about anything you can think. But it's more this idea, I think this is where Hitch is, Peter Hitch is really barking, yeah. because he thinks that if people can't take drugs, that somehow makes all their other problems go away. Actually, mm. if someone takes drugs, it's usually, they might just take it recreationally now and then, but if they're taking it as a way of life, it's because they find their regular state of consciousness unpleasant. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing the drugs. Now, you can try and compensate for that by smoking hash. If you don't, it's not like all their problems are going to wait. Maybe they're trying to self-medicate from anxiety. Maybe they find uh, their emotions unpleasant. They're going to do something else yeah. to change their state of consciousness. You know, they're, they're, they, they might drive too fast and get a kick that way. Or you even just smoking tobacco because I mean sure. if you, you know if, if somebody's addicted enough to tobacco, you know, if they if they get into a situation where suddenly, you know, whatever financial situation they can't smoke as much as they do, they'll be irritable, uh, they'll be the you know, temper will be a problem and they'll take it out in their family. You know, right. so that's so you, that same argument could be made for any substance. And not just, just substance, just yeah. like habits. Yeah. You know, not going to the gym. Well, you're going to cause your family a whole bunch of suffering when you, get you don't get your kick. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you get a heart attack or whatever. Um, so, correlation is not causation. So, there. Okay, so he's saying, what is, that's not really the argument. He's saying, what, what is the argument when he says um, that? People tell him that correlation is not causation. Well, because he's saying that basically, um, you know, because of the, the things that can happen due to you using marijuana. He said, well, look, it's not, you can't automatically pin these things on, on, on marijuana. Increased chance of mental illness. That's not just down to marijuana. You can't say that, no, well, that, that's true. Uh, Correlation is not necessarily causation, but it it can be. Yeah, sure, of course. So he says, stupid stoners respond to this by saying that breathing and eating bread are also correlated to mental illness. Okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna take the most stupid proponents of the position and the most stupid things they say and knock them down, um, then you're not going to come up with much. You should be looking at the most sophisticated, intelligent yeah. uh, are, are advocates of a position. So the thing is, okay, I don't disagree that cannabis has bad effects on people's psyche. I know people who have said that cannabis has ruined their life. The thing is, am I willing to jail them? And where does he want to find the way over £20,000 a year to lock people up with smoking a joint? Okay, He's, but you could make an argument it doesn't have to cost that much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Where's he going to find the ten grand a yeah. year? Or whatever it is. One you might grand. as well. Yeah. You might as well invest in the drug counselling for them. It'll be a lot cheaper, and uh, it won't be the taxpayers' 
problem. I don't. Um, well, it's still been the time. Yeah, I guess well, in the and, and the drug. I, I'm sorry to say, I think the the, the kind of drug counselling which the state uh, provides is probably pretty poor uh, anyway, based on the experiences that I've heard um, as a mental health professional. But you know, I don't want to get into any yeah. trouble. Okay. So here's the what about alcohol and tobacco then? Eh? I bet you drink. Well, what about alcohol and tobacco? Both of them are very dangerous to the users and do terrible harm. If you support the legal status or consume either or both, you're inconsistent and a hypocrite. Again, answer, I drink a little wine and the occasional glass of beer. Well, some people like an occasional joint. Um, there is no hypocrisy in this. My opponents use an illegal drug and campaign for its legalization to suit themselves. Oh, right, okay, yeah. so if the state says it's illegal, then that makes all the difference. Yeah. It doesn't make you a hypocrite for taking a drug that's equally or some would claim more harmful. If alcohol were illegal, I would not buy or consume it. Well, good for you. I guess, uh, uh, you know, if it was illegal not to kill a Jew in Nazi Germany, you wouldn't be, <laughs> you know, you'd be killing a Jew as well. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Good for you, you law-abiding citizen. Legal does not mean moral, and moral does not mean legal. Um, he says he wouldn't even campaign for a drink to be legalized. So good, you're a, you're you're a good boy. You know, you do what the you do what mommy and daddy government said. Yeah. If I, I did campaign for it to be legalized, yeah. I would certainly not break the law. I was campaigning to change, as so many cannabis legalizers do. What does the fact that it's Oh my God! You tell me. You tell me what you think about this. Um, I think it's a spurious argument, to be honest with you. I mean, is he a hypocrite? I think slightly, slightly hypocritical. Uh, clearly, in his case of taking a glass of wine, he's not getting wrecked and, and, and causing problems. Well, but then there's lots do. of people. But yeah, but lots of people do absolutely. Um, so the fact of the matter is, alcohol is probably the greatest social problem. At the moment in the UK, that could change, obviously. And maybe if drugs were all legalised, then another one would become the biggest social problem. But currently, alcohol is. Um, and if he really feels that it's about how you, you know, how you end up damaging yourself or damaging sure. your family, maybe you can't be. Look, bottom line, I mean, just quickly, I could say I came full circle on this because I used to. I would have happily, even up until about ten years ago, maybe more. I would have happily been part of a death squad uh, going about killing drug dealers. Now, if you, there's two ways you can look at it. You either say it's going to be, we're going to make it illegal or we're going to legalize it. If it's illegal, then you're going to have to use draconian measures. Now, he's going to go on in a later part of this article to explain about Japan uh, and explain about some other countries that have strict laws. It's not just the laws. There's also different cultures in those countries, I think, that contribute. Yes. Okay, but anyway, currently, if we were going to do this, if we were really going to get tough on drugs, the time to do it was 50 years ago. It's far too entrenched. Even if you wanted to, it's going to, unless you are prepared to carry out extrajudicial killings, unless you are prepared to carry out a war on drugs that is completely draconian uh, and terminate with extreme prejudice people that are involved in it, then you're just pissing around. Right. You know, and spending a lot of money uh, that you know, trying to combat an industry that shows absolutely no signs whatsoever of abating. In fact, it's getting stronger. You know, with all the money the government pumps into uh, fighting it, and all the, the you know the, the, the drug enforcement agencies, and you know, it's it's not even making a dent. It's relatively easy. Yeah, they've had they've done things where they've gone and raided and killed all the drug dealers in the states. And guess what? Few weeks later, okay, there's no drugs for a while. Few yeah. weeks later, well, that's what, but that's what we would need to do. I think if you done, yeah, yeah. I think if you if you carry the a, a draconian drug war, I think you could probably bring it under reasonable control for about ten years. I think the problems that would result from that would be greater. I yeah. mean, because you're basically going into communities, causing more trauma. I'm sure we'll come to the link between trauma and drug taking later. So, and I mean, that, that's without even going into the, 
the arguments about liberty and say, sure. well, look, if, bottom line for me as a libertarian, as harmful as drugs are, I don't even like, I don't even, I don't smoke, right? I can't stand cigarettes. But unless you're allowed to put into your body what you see fit, then you are not living in a free society. And I don't think governments get a right to do it. It's certainly not putting you in jail for what you put in your body. If you harm somebody else, while you're on drugs, then you should be punished yeah, and you to could the full extent. You could even you could even uh, increase the penalties, say, for, for people who are on substances and tackle it that way. But at the end of the day, here's a problem, another problem that I have with Peter Hitchens' point of view. He's got this idea that drug prohibition will act as a deterrent. You're talking about people who already do not have good what you know the, the Austrians call time preference. Time mm -hmm. preference. I will uh, do the right thing now because in the future it will give me a good reward. Delaying gratification, yeah. to use it in non-economic terms. These people are bad at delaying gratification. That's why they're taking drugs. They know the fucking heroin's bad for them, etc. Yeah. Um, Just like people who smoke. Yeah. Smoke so, bad so having a deterrent as in, well, we'll put you in jail if we catch you, if the fact that you can get HIV from a needle isn't going to put you off, if the fact that you're going to you, you can die yeah. isn't going to put you off, why is the threat of going to jail going to put you off? Well, like, especially because really in good. the jail you can actually even get drugs. Right. So let's look at the, at the cities. If you can get hold of drugs in a prison, which is the most arguably the most secure of environments. So, you know, you, nobody goes in there without going through a quarantine procedure. You know, everything's checked, everything's locked down. You know, nobody gets in or out without permission. And yet, drugs still manage to get into prisons. If you cannot control drugs in a prison, you have absolutely zip uh, chance of controlling it in society. Now, Peter Hitchens would obviously say that's a defeatist. Uh, that's basically a defeatist argument. It's a defeatist. Uh, right, and that's like the gambler's fallacy. It's yeah. like, well, I, 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 it's come up black six times and I've lost, so uh, surely it's going to come up black next time. It's like, how how long do you want to bash your head against the wall? I mean, how long do we want to be in Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and Libya before someone goes, uh, well, maybe this is just a waste of money, yeah. right? And it's the same with this drug war. I mean, it's also a war. It's also been incredibly ineffective. It's also been a massive waste of resources. And it's also ruined countless numbers of people's lives. So here's, here's in your point saying it would be extremely difficult to prosecute. Alcohol prohibition often re wrongly regarded as a model for this. It's not a good example. Millions of reckless immigrants viewed the law as a political attack on their heritage and culture. Um, recent immigrants, not reckless immigrants. Recent, sorry. <laughs> we don't think immigrants are reckless. <laughs> I thought that and not even Peter Hitchens thinks that they're reckless. What is the upshot of his argument here? He's basically saying that. Um, right. Okay, what he's saying is a better route, because that's a bad example of a failed alcohol. He says a better example of failed alcohol prohibition is modern day Iran, uh, where a country which formerly permitted drinking now seeks to suppress it. Any visitors to Iran is, uh, is is quickly aware that this law is not effectively enforced and is utterly failed. And this failure takes place in a police state without any of the safeguards and restraints authority in the USA. Yeah, I mean, that is a better example. He's actually flew in the face of his own argument there, as far as I can see. Um, would you be, would I be right in saying that? Well, I, I don't understand what his argument is. I think he's he's basically not got one he's, he's saying okay the drug prohibition in the u.s shouldn't be the model for drug prohibition well i mean what is your model for drug prohibition i think as you said the only way to do it would be go, go in all guns blazing yeah why don't you look i mean if you want less people to take he doesn't see drug takers as human beings he just basically sees them as animals that he can dispose of as he pleases chuck them in jail they're miscreants you know fuck them who cares about them well, you know, but his, his attitude is paternalistic. In other words, what he thinks is by doing that, it will not only benefit them in the end, but the benefit of society. Right. Well, I don't think that drug takers are really. See, when I go out in the street, it's not really drug takers that I'm scared of. I'm kind of uh, scared of the government at the moment. 
and uh, bringing Western civilization to its knees. Well, this is true. But uh, in fairness, you don't really live in an area that's heavily okay. affected I, by both dealers and you know uh, drug addicts. You're not stepping over right. them in your stairway. That's you true. Know? You're not having to you know dodge them on the way to the shops because you're not you're living in, a, in an area that's reasonably affluent. Okay, so what I mean, it's just. It's a really crude solution, even so, you know, uh, if you were going to use the state to do it, you're going to want to look at the de de data on how to get people off drugs. Like, you know, be scientific about it. Uh, there must be some body of information on treating criminals. And, as, um, uh, and none of it says that a way to get people off drugs is to... Put them in jail. Yeah. So suppressing next argument, suppressing smoking has been a slow, cautious, and late. It had to be. It was legal for centuries and yeah. So we've seen a massive decline in the number of smokers um, through an education campaign. Um, so he, so he says that this is a stupid argument. Well, have we really seen a massive decline in the number? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um, the, I, I don't have stats for it. But yeah, but there's no laws prohibiting people from smoking. There's just restrictions on no. where they can and cannot smoke. Yeah, that might have helped somewhat, and it's just become unfashionable. It's Everyone also expensive. It's bad for you. It is expensive, and that's partly because of the number of taxes levied on cigarettes. But um, I think, to be honest, it's been more about I, culture. As I, I don't know. I mean, I read somewhere that it's actually gone up amongst women, um, even though it's gone down generally. There's more young women smoking now than before. Well, let's have a quick fact check then. Okay. So, the number of smoking in England has fallen to its lowest level with just one in six adults now lighting up. Um, so, it's, how do they get these figures then? I mean, as a. I mean, do they just ask people? I mean, people do lying, you know? As an occasion. I know people who smoke. But they regard themselves as non-smokers because they only smoke when they have a drink. Well, okay, so they're a social smoker or whatever. As an um, infrequent smoker, um, I have definitely noticed a massive decline in the number of people smoking. Yeah. When I first went out to bars, you could even smoke inside a bar. Uh, loads of people smoked, whereas now it's just, there's no one to go out for a cigarette with. So make smoking great again. <laughs> Oh, I can't stand smoking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really hard for me to sympathise, you know, with, right. with smokers. But I, I mean, I, I kind of do. It's, it's back to that libertarian thing. You should really do it if you want. But I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, it was everywhere. You on the bus, you know, public transport, uh, you know, everywhere you went, there was people smoking, and they didn't give a flying monkeys. You know, right. uh, if, if you confronted them, say, "Look, could you not do that? I really don't want to be." They would just blow it in your face even harder. Uh, you know, so it's, scumbag. They were they were smokers, man. Really were scumbags when I was a kid. You know, right. and probably still are. But, but they should have a right to do it. As long right. as don't blow it in but face. it's not cool anymore. It's unfashionable, and you could make an argument that drugs being illegal makes them more fashionable. Peter Hitchens, as you say, is a paternalist. His next thing is to say, the young think they are immortal. So basically, we need to do what's good, force them to do what's good for them. Not just force them to do what's good for them, but actually lock them in a cage with murderers and rapists for doing what's bad for them. Mm. The, thing is, the, the thing is, I just find it really difficult to take them seriously because people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And he's coming out trying to come across as though he's compassionate and he wants to deter people from taking drugs because he cares about them. But the truth is that he frankly doesn't. He thinks they're scum and he wants to act out his violent fantasies or uh, get the state to act out his violent fantasies upon them because he thinks that they're they're uh, unworthy. And so it's just, it's just Okay, let's have, have, let's have a look at his argument for uh, he's, he, what, what's his what's his Japan case for Japan and South, South Korea. Korea. They strongly enforce drug laws against drug possession and use as law. Before 1971, when British drug laws were more stringent and more enforced, drug use was also much lower in Britain. Well, I mean, drug use was a lot lower before there was any prohibition at all, and you had functional opium 
addicts and, and people who were actually able to get by and well, get I, I guess a lot of working class people couldn't have afforded drugs either. And for most of his, well, for a lot of history in Britain, people were pretty much drunk every day because you couldn't drink water because it was unsafe. So they had several pints of beer a day. So you just basically had people, you know, drunk every day in this country um, in the 1800s. So it's like, I'm not for drug use. In fact, I think that people shouldn't take drugs if, if, they, can, if, if they can avoid it. Well, I mean, you can avoid yeah. it. It's just that this, the idea, the idea of mobilizing the resources of society against people's will to lock people up for it, um, it doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's good that Japan and Korea have had a successful drug prohibition. You know, yeah. it it's still bad that they have a drug prohibition. So, I mean, it's it's as you say, it's a different culture. Uh, Japan had quite a history of authoritarian government. Yeah. Here, it's like here, people have seen too much of life. You can't put the rabbit of individualism back into the hat. It's like in India, right? most of the marriages are still arranged and most of the marriages are happy but you can't but that does in fact they're they're more happy than the average couple is here or in america but that doesn't mean that you can reimpose or it's not desirable it doesn't justify well arranged marriages well on the grounds that a lot okay, of people are okay. happy with them well an arranged marriage isn't necessarily a forced marriage although i think a lot of the time they are forced marriages mm. uh, usually your you know your, your mum or your sister might choose someone for you to get married to if you're a, if you're a dude now you might be okay with that so it's in that case it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle what I would say, but then there might be social pressure and family pressure if you don't, you know, you might be basically a pariah. So it's not good. I'm not a supporter of it, even if the families there are happier. But more to the point, they have a culture. You cannot just say, well, obviously people are much happier in India, so we should yeah, we roll that out here. here. Yeah. It's not going to work because people here have seen too much of life to be satisfied with that arrangement. They want to choose their own partner. And the same goes for this kind of thing. People know the freedom to use, even if it's illegal. And making it illegal is not going to do has not going to do more to deter people than it already has. But more to the point, what gives you the right, basically? What gives you the right? Yeah. So, stupidest argument number, whatever it is. Well, I've heard lots of stupid arguments, but most of them have been from Peter Hitchens so far, rather than the drug legalization. Okay, but here's that. Here's Why allow criminals to control the trade? Making it legal would drive them out. I, I kind of agree, but he says, this is demonstrably untrue. Well, I, I kind of agree with him on this, I think, to a degree. It's not necessarily, it, it's not going to drive out, it's still not going to drive out the criminal element. Um, there will always be a niche there for criminals. I mean, if, especially, okay, if the government decide to legalize yet um, regulate, right. the same way that cigarettes are regulated or alcohol is regulated, then there's obviously going to be a black market there. Okay. Because no, somebody doesn't want to pay the tax on, on selling their drugs or whatever or doesn't want to go through the, you know, the, the books, they're still going to sell drugs illegally or get it cheaper from another method that's illegal or buy it from somewhere that they're not supposed to. So I guess the criminals will still be there in drug use or the worse still, maybe they'll switch their, their criminal activity to something else like okay. child trafficking or something. So it doesn't necessarily get rid of a criminal element, but I think it would alleviate. I think it would. Um, the thing is, this is a point I made in a previous podcast, but we've basically lost out on 50 years of research on drugs. Right. If you had drug legalization for the last 50 years, and by the way, don't be deceived. Don't think this is like college dropouts that are making these drugs. Some of the best pharmacists in the world are working in Amsterdam creating illegal drugs. So 
we've lost out on fifty. What what is the profit motive of an official drug company? Well, they're they're not going to want to kill their clients, and they don't want their clients to hate their product. Yeah. So over fifty years, what could have been done in terms of making drugs safer, uh, less side effects, more good effects, more safe? We've basically missed out on. Not to mention the possible therapeutic or health um, or medicinal uh, opportunities, which we basically missed out on. So when you have a pharmacist selling MDMA, let's say, over the counter, you do have a certain level of quality control and standardization. I'm skeptical, even if it's more expensive mm -hmm. if people are going to forego the assurance of having a safe product and knowing who to come back to and take legal proceedings against if they're harmed yeah. over getting something in the street maybe in a very poor country but I, you know they're not even talking about drugs and well, people here, well, cigarettes and alcohol are, yeah, are, are, are legal here, but, you, but people yeah. still go to criminal gangs to, to, to buy that kind to of stuff. To buy alcohol and tobacco. Or buy cigarettes, yeah. Okay, because the tax on them is so high. Yeah. In China, you can get clone cigarettes, like, they're not really Marlboro, but they sell them on the street as Marlboro, and they're probably ba really bad for you. They're probably being made of crap. But then there's a lot of poor people there who want a cheaper cigarette. I think you're not, well, yeah, okay, so I can see the argument. Nonetheless, you you, you pay your money, you take your choice. Now, yeah. I'm going to send the one that's callous. If this really is a risk, even the, even the drug dealer on the street doesn't want to sell someone a bad product because that person isn't going to come back to them. That's why usually when people do... But not every drug dealer's got that long-term business plan. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, you can sell it to some idiot, but usually... And um, what people will do is they'll find someone that they can rely on them and go to them and they rely on that yeah. reputation. So I don't want to encourage anyone to take drugs, but if you are going to take drugs, make sure you know the person that you're getting them from has a good reputation. Just say saying, you know. Just say no. Don't do drugs, I'm kind. Drugs are bad, I'm kind. All crime is caused by law. Yeah. All crime is caused. Okay, well. Well, I guess. You know, if you didn't have laws, you couldn't break them. Yeah, well, maybe we should. Make it illegal to murder people then, and then there'll be no murderers. Well, actually, that's kind of common law. So, uh, why are cynical businessmen so much better than criminal gangs? Uh, uh, that's his question. Well, okay. because they're trying to provide a voluntary service to people and try and get as many customers as possible from satisfying their customers. Is he, is he saying that McDonald's would just be every bit as good if there was criminal gangs running McDonald's? Right. And like you weren't allowed to buy a burger unless you bought a McDonald's burger or the boys would come around and break your kneecaps. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, I like it, but here's a Hitchens really great lefty argument. Okay. Just because it's regulated doesn't mean it's safe. Uh, well, that's true. That is true. But, but it's got to be safe, fuck. To a degree. Well, who's going to regulate it? Is the government going to regulate it? Or is the market going to regulate it? Are you going to have third parties putting a little gold star on safe drugs, a silver star on ones that you might want to be careful with, yeah. etc.? You know, legalizing drugs would, cause, would end the murder and the cartels and drug producing companies. Countries. And countries. He says, I'm not quite sure why. Well, maybe because it costs um, a pound for a kilogram of sugar and 10,000 pounds or something like that for a kilogram of cocaine. So when you remove, I don't know the street price, um, eh, but I've heard that. So by removing the huge amount of money that can be made in drugs, then you will reduce the amount of criminality by that. Yeah, I meet them out with the real Mr. Big, it's you. Okay, I agree with that. You know, um, the drug, the drug trade only operates because people buy it. You know, the idea that people buy drugs because the, the drug dealers, you know, yeah. force it on people. Generally speaking, the drug dealers exist because of a demand. Right. You know, and it, it really, it really pisses me off when uh, people 
get on their moral high horse about anything to me as they're stuffing cocaine up their nose. Like, you know, and you go, oh, you know, I, I noticed you take cocaine. Is that locally sourced, uh, what's it, uh, what do you call that stuff? Like, mm -hmm. fair, fair trade. Fair trade, yeah, is it locally sourced fair trade cocaine that you use? You know, oh yeah, no, I get it from a local guy, he's all right, oh, he's all right. And the guys he deals with are all right. Mm -hmm. And all the way up the line, Right to the guy in Colombia, they're all all right. You deal with a really nice drug gang, you fucking idiot, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that that hacks me off. You know, if, you know, people who who do drugs take no responsibility for the consequences in, ter in terms of what they're supporting and what they're financing. You know, right. I, I agree that it's idiotic that they have. But well, look, you don't have to go to a fucking a drug dealer and get drugs. Just don't be fucking using them. But it is idiotic that you can't uh, do, do, just do drugs legally. Um, but, you know, don't, don't, do, don't do cocaine and fucking heroin and then complain about crime or complain about the fucking state of the world or yeah. complain about fucking... You know, a lot of these people, I know a lot of people who do drugs who are pretty left-leaning, right. you know. And to me, that's just, that really is There's a massive uh, environmental argument against doing cocaine. I've never uh, taken cocaine. I'm quite happy to go to the grave having never taken cocaine. Yeah, um, that's all. But um, so 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 I hear. You know, I the the, the the article itself I find somewhat tiresome. You know, he's saying. Yeah. The other another stupid argument is, well, you can't put hundreds of thousands of people in prison. Like, I just want him to pay for this stuff out of his. Well, he says in fairness, you know, let's read his his answer. So, no, you can't, right? But he's saying, okay, he, he said, okay, he says, let me read you his answer, right? No, you can't. The point of prison is to deter. Once it is clear that a crime has been taken seriously, its incidence falls. See Japan, South Korea, and pre-1971 Britain. A fairly small number of high-profile arrests and prosecutions and the use by police of informers on a large scale so that nobody knew if they were in fact buying from a police network. Well, this is good. Peter Hitchens is actually... He's advocating the police state here, right. Right, of, of police informers, grassing right. people up for doing drugs. Anyway, uh, it would rapidly persuade most people that drug abuse wasn't worth the risk. And if everyone had heard of someone who had been jailed for drug possession, they'd change their behavior. Drug abuse is a crime of affluence and choice. Anyone can stop committing it if they want to. Nobody needs to do it. Right, well, you don't need to have your glass of wine. It comes back to that. I don't need to make this podcast. Um, but it's they, slightly different, though. Well, I mean, they could say say that I'm encouraging uh, dissident behavior by putting out a... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Why not have your same secret police that you've got uh, grassing people up for yeah. using narcotics? They could listen in at the same time to anybody who's uh, saying anything detrimental against. I mean, if you had to say, I think this uh, police state where we've got people you know, listening in and grassing you up for trying to buy drugs, I think that's out of order. So are they going to get jailed as well right. for dissing the, the, the exactly. police state? So how far do you want to take it? Yeah. Do you want to jail someone for encouraging drug taking? And so it's like... What about uh, singing a song that encourages drug taking or playing a song on a record? What about great songs written by people who were on drugs? Yeah. The thing is... It's not harsh, though, I don't think. I think I'd or definitely not. Or heroin? Did anybody make good music on heroin? I'm not sure. I've already, uh, yeah. Well, I was going to say Guns N' Roses, but oh, you, you. They are. No, that uh, is. That, okay, now. Aerosmith. Right, okay, um, Peter Hitchens, I'm early, with you. Early uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Lot, lots of junkies make great music, but um, but get some talent. Uh, don't, don't just. Right, anyway, okay. on we go. Dictators and despots are fond of government repressories. Right, so yeah, you see. Simplification is not some mighty freedom like the freedoms of speech. Says you, I, I think if you don't have the freedom to, to, be an idiot. to experiment with your consciousness, then you're not free. So people self stupefy all the time. They self stupefy by watching the television. Christ, okay. they self stupefy by watching you on the television. <laughs> 
Uh, marijuana, but isn't marijuana a useful medicine? He's skeptical about medical marijuana. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. You okay. can be skeptical. You can be skeptical yeah. about it, but I'm going to go to the scientists, not to Peter Hitchens. But you don't want to ban rock climbing, mountain climbing, or motorbikes. Though, if uh, no, though if motorbikes were banned, I might well oppose a campaign to legalise oh, them. God's sake. Well, that just shows how much. <laughs> That now, now he really is getting you know, I mean, bonkers hitch. You know, he doesn't get the name for nothing. If that if he's really serious about you know, if motorcycles were so, I mean, is that his argument for everything? Okay, if it's illegal, then it's illegal. If it's not illegal at the moment, then that's all right. But I would, you know, if it was, if it was already illegal, I wouldn't, you know, what the fuck? Sorry, if it wasn't already illegal, I wouldn't be wanting to make it legal. So, uh, that's that's cast. Crazy man, that is absolutely crazy. So I can't, you can't write them over. You can't. What else could you do that would be possibly dangerous? Um, drive, drive, drive a car. You know? Well, soon we might, thanks to these uh, self-driving car robots, be doing away with human. Here's a here's a crazy thing, right? I mean, I've heard Peter Hitchens make some really decent arguments in favour of uh, gun uh, ownership, right? And it would seem to be a direct contradiction. You know, if he's for freedom for people to have guns, um, despite the obvious dangers that are involved in that, I mean, it's just a simple equation. Less guns, less gun deaths. You know, that, 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 would, that would seem to be the case. But really, I mean, why would, that, why would you want to ban people from being able to defend themselves? Even if there was less guns, wouldn't those less guns be in the hands of the criminals? Right. So I mean, he makes he does make some good arguments for uh, for for gun ownership. Why would you have the freedom to have a gun and not have the freedom to use drugs? Well, just not at the same time. Please don't use your guns while you're using drugs. <laughs> I don't know, man. To be honest, the the article itself is tiresome, and uh, he's okay. Portugal and the Netherlands have shown that relaxing the law works. Well, I mean. I don't. He he disputes that. Yeah. He says lifetime drug uh, use in Portugal has actually risen. Well, there's been a lot less just general drug use. Again, okay. What are you actually wanting to do to help these lifetime drug users? You seem to be pretending that you have an interest in people not using drugs for the lifetime. Why? Right. If they're not hurting anyone other than themselves, well, then that's fine. Uh, if you want to save their lives, you're not going to fucking save their lives by putting them in a cage with murderers and rapists. If you were really serious, then you'd be advocating some kind of treatment, and that's just not what he's doing. He just wants to deter people by punishing them. Also, I mean, you, you touched on it earlier. How, Peter Hitchens, how do you propose to pay well, for, for the prisons? Yeah, well, he's I mean. fine with waving guns in people's faces to. To, to relieve them of yeah. their hard-earned yeah. money. Yeah, and what does he want to do to the drug takers if they don't want to be arrested? I'm sure he's pretty happy with them being um, being shot. So, anyway, I found the article tiresome, to be honest. I was hoping for more from it. Uh, I'd like to actually hear from our listeners uh, how you think it went. I'd like to hear from Peter Hitchens, actually, but I, mean, I doubt yeah. very much if Peter Hitchens is going to debate us. Uh, but if he did... I would love him to, and would even agree not to swear uh, <laughs> and, and use profanity. Um, I just want to hear from our listeners, like, how did you think that this went? Because it was impromptu. Should we have read the article in advance and prepared more? I mean, I, I did read it. I yeah, I think it. so. <laughs> I but I had prepared my counter-arguments. I thought we could do it on the fly in the style of Stefan Molyneux. Well, let that be a lesson, yeah. But um, you, you tell us if you, you enjoyed it or not. Before, let's say, we've got one more column from Peter Hitchens that he put out last year, yeah. and I sent it to you, yeah. saying Peter Hitchens goes full retard. Sorry, am, am I allowed to use that? Well, yeah, he, well, he, he went, off the, yeah, went off the grid, I think. And you were one. like, fucking hell, man. Sorry to our American. Yeah, yeah, I was... I was I was actually astounded by this. I thought this is an article that could have been written by uh, Owen Jones right. or uh, George Mondio or somebody from The Guardian. Do you want to um, take the lead on this one? Well, I'll just I'll, I'll read it. Okay, 
this is uh, this is Peter Hitchens writing. Privatization, free trade, shares for all, the great con that ruined Britain. Apparently, right, yeah. So uh, I am so sorry now that I fell for the great Thatcher Reagan promise. I can't deny that I did. I believed all that stuff about privatization, privatization, and free trade, and the unrestrained market. I think I may have been even taken in by the prophecies of a great share-owning democracy. I thought this now seems especially funny that private British telecom would be automatically better than crabby old post office telephones. Pause for a second. Okay. Is he genuinely saying that our phone services were better when there was only one provider? Per street, you know. And how much did it cost? It was pretty it expensive. Was so expensive. Yeah. I mean, I, my my grandparents had a phone. We didn't have one. Um, my next. My, my, well, sorry, one set of grandparents had a phone. The other set of grandparents didn't have a phone. We used the neighbor's phone if we really had to. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, was, it was really expensive. Um, I, I don't know where, why anyone would not think the privatization of phones was a good thing. Of course, it was only a pri partial privatization. Yeah. But says, I think anyone who's ever tried to contact BT when things go wrong would now have to go back to the days of nationalisation. Soviet-style slowness was bad, but surely better than total indifference. Oh my God. Oh look, part of the, okay, let's analyse part of the problem that he may be trying to get at. When the, the, the post office was sold off, it was sold off to interest groups. It wasn't sold off to a free market. We have one, it's really difficult when you've got one set of phone lines. Um, to be able, and it's, it's heavily regulated. The, the whole communications uh, networks are heavily regulated by government. Instead okay. of just saying, just get on with it, do it however you want to do it. As long as you can provide a service for people, just do it. Uh, we, we could have, then BT would have had competition. BT That's did right. not have competition. Even its competitors have to use British Telecom phone lines. That's right. So how is that going to be any good? Um, and I'm sorry, Peter, if you, if you honestly, it may have been for you, because you know what, Peter, you were middle class. So you had a phone, and you lived in a nice neighborhood, and people would, you know, when you phoned up with a posh voice and asked them to come and fix your phone, they would come and do it. Probably because you paid quite a lot for your phone bill as well, because you used it more than other people. Whereas if you were a working class person on a phone, let me tell you, you went to the back of the queue when it came to getting your phone fixed, okay? So... Let's, let's have that out in the open. Okay, and it says, uh, and it's all very well being able to buy cheap goods from all over the world as we fling our borders wide and abandon the protection of our own industries and that everyone says is so wicked and will make us poor and backward. How I miss the old names of trusted brands and knowledge of all these things have been made for generations by my fellow countrymen. But the new broom swept and it swept pretty clean in towns I know well, car assembly lines, Railway workshops, glassworks, engineering plants, chocolate factories vanished or shrank to nothing. Well, what do you say to that, Mr. Summer? Cringe first, and I slap my forehead. Um, you I thought I knew the for you. Very <laughs> 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 good. That's not right. I'm rapidly folding. So, for those of you who can't see, those, those watching on SoundCloud. <laughs> right. So put it this way, I've got a newsflash for you, and this is, goes out to the Trump supporters as well. Those manufacturing jobs, they're never coming back. Never. Never. Right? Yeah. It's not like you're just going to vote socialist no, or labor and like no. all of a sudden we're all going to be wearing flat caps and, you know, give our peace boxes and all trooped into the shipyards like, hey, you know, no. They're mostly taken by mechanization, not by... Um, not by outsourcing. Outsourcing is a very small part of it. It's not okay. If you like, we also had powerful trade unions in this country that just would not see sense, you know. Uh, and the, 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 and after years of threatening, like you know, the the, the, the people who owned the company just went right. Fuck you, then. I'm going to take the shipyards to to uh, Singapore and to China and to anywhere else where we can get cheap labour. So right. how do you like and them apples? Do you want to leave those people in abject poverty in third world countries? Yeah. You know, by not letting like yeah, how dare he, how dare they raise their standard he, of living? How can he be against I don't understand how anyone can be against free trade. I think it's so like 
presumptuous to think that you have the right to stop two people exchanging goods, right? Yeah. If some guy in the middle of Africa wants to start a factory and send me a microphone for this podcast, yeah. what gives anyone the right to stop me from buying it for them? So Peter Hitchens, he's a boo. He's an authoritarian. I think that's he goes on. Why are our warships made of foreign steel? Why are the few factories that do exist almost foreign owned? Their fate decided far away by people who don't much care about this country. And why is our current account deficit with the rest of the world the worst it's ever been in peacetime and nearly as bad as it was during the yeah, career? Just uh, this thing on, for anyone who doesn't know, this thing on balance of trades is absolutely nonsense. It's not bad for a country to have a bad balance of trade. Do you know why? Because what makes you richer? Having more stuff or sending stuff away. Whenever we are importing more than we're exporting, that means our living standards are rising because we've got more stuff. What's more, those pounds that are going abroad can't actually be spent on anything other than British products anyway. So sooner or later, they're fated to come here. So even if someone in a foreign country, even if someone comes here and works and sends their money back to Poland, their pounds back to Poland, um, They've still got to come back here sometime. Yeah. So it's just nonsense. And now the remains of our steel industry are vanishing, not because nothing can be done. Any determined government could save it if it really wanted to. But because we are all still worshipping that free market dogma that captivated us 30 years ago. I never thought I'd yearn for the National Coal Board or British Steel or, good heavens, British Leyland. But I, Jesus. but I do begin to feel I was fooled into thinking that it was what was coming next would be any better. At this rate, it may soon be much, much worse. So this, uh, this is really horrible. I mean, what does he want to do to save British Steel? Does he want to have a big government subsidy on steel? Will that not just be taking money from regular people and giving it to the steel industry? Is it a good thing? Uh, is it, if, if people want to dump their cheap steel on us, that can only be good for every other business in the country that makes use of steel. It might not be good for British Steel, but it's good for any factory that uses steel that's getting cheap steel. What's more? Uh, I mean, if you're clever, you could stockpile it while yeah, it's cheap. Stockpile it while it's cheap. Wait till it becomes more scarce and then sell it at a markup. That's your time preference for you. Yeah. Have you got anything to add? No, that was the end of his article there. Uh, basically, he was just slating free market economics. I'm glad because the first one was too long. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what does he actually advocate then? He's advocating some kind of paternalist system in which the government... Okay, if the government's the best to take care of the economy, why wouldn't the government be best to take care of your yes. family? You know, okay. so why why would you object to the government telling you where to live, what how to dress? Uh, you know, are you sure, Peter, that you've completely turned your back on on Trotskyism? Because yeah, that that, that like does it. that does not sound like it in that argument. You know, and if you're gonna tell us that things in Britain today are are worse. Really? I mean, really? come on. I mean, I lived what through the seventies, eighties. Um, yeah, yeah, there's what problems. What you can get for a pay packet now must be just in terms of a basket of goods. Yeah, but I mean, far more. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's, there is problems. Okay, there's property prices. Okay, yes. property prices are extortionate. They and they're going up all the because time because of government. <laughs> because of government. Uh, because of a lack. Of a free market, of free market yeah. housing. There's a massive supply shortage of houses. I mean, there's only a couple of companies that can erect houses. Yeah. And but I mean, obviously, somebody like Peter Hitchens would say, well, that's because the government sold off, uh, you know, social housing and allowed people to buy them. Well, I think, I don't, is that, so he's saying privatization is a bad thing. Oh, well, generally, that's the whole gist of that argument. So, the thing is with Peter. I mean, I know he's. I know he's for renationalising the railways. He lacks. He lacks a coherent political philosophy, and that's the trouble. He's just like a regular person who's like, I'll take some of this, I'll take some of that, and basically whatever I want is the correct politics with no underlying principles at all. Like, 
you can say what you want about Marxists, but at least they have a coherent political philosophy. So you can either try and challenge yeah. their political philosophy, or you can try and challenge how their policies will meet their yeah. aims. Like, for example, the richest countries in the world are slightly less equal, sorry, are, are more equal yeah. than, the more capitalist countries are slightly more equal than the communist countries, uh, or, or any other countries are actually slightly more equal. For example, so you can say, well, capitalism is better than their policy, or whatever. When someone doesn't have a coherent political philosophy the way that Marxists or libertarians do, then it's just a free-for-all. It's just whatever I say. But where the wind blows, you Yeah. What, so th this is I the mean, the thing is, Pierre Hitchens has absolutely no excuse. He lived in the Soviet Union. Wow. You know? And he knows where that ends up. And it's like, that's where it will end up. If you do not have a free market, then that's where it will end up. Because if the government's the best to run the steel industry, and the government's the best to run the railways, then there should be no thing that the government wouldn't be good at. Right, I hear you. So, is he saying, I, I don't know if he wants, is that what he wants? He basically wants renationalization? Because I was wondering he if did want, he, he, he has more. spoken up for renationalization of the railways. You know? so, and, he's, and he's on record as saying it was a mistake to break the route. Right, okay. You have to understand that the history of our railways is nationalised, privatised, nationalised, privatised. You know, well, it was originally, the, the railways were built by monopoly. private companies. Exactly. And each one was a private company in its own right. So I think government screwed it up by breaking it up and national, well, nationalising and breaking it up. And then... Also, it screwed up, but when again, it done exactly the same thing with as the telephones. It sold it off to interest groups, right? And um, the energy resources. Yeah, and absolutely. All of and these, so, you, so you've got yeah. you've got tra train lines that are owned by the one person. So it doesn't matter what company you are, you still have to use the same right. same railway line. You can't it's not free to just build right. your own cheap railway line next to no. it and no. bypass it. So it's like these so-called privatizations under Thatcher weren't full privatizations, they were more like a cartelization yeah, yeah. where the government got together with industry. So I, I know when it came to our energy resources, they thought, well, if we privatize the energy proper and just let anyone make energy, then we won't get much money for yeah. selling the nationalized energy. So we have to give them special privileges. I mean, I don't know why we've got such a boner for railways anyway. I mean, if we'd have just allowed it to go the way of the market, you know, either we'd have a better railway system yeah. now or we just wouldn't have one because we'd have something better, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe we'd all just be, maybe we would be zipping about on yeah. hoverboards. Maybe yeah. we'd have monorails, maybe there would be an underground bullet train. Whatever the investors thought would get people from A to B, hell, we might be teleporting. Yeah, uh, or or maybe the industries and some of the small industries would have moved out of centralised yeah. areas into the countryside and into other areas, so that people wouldn't have to get to the job. The job would come to them. Yeah, so more people could be working from home. Uh, there wouldn't be such urban sprawl because the government built too many roads, and you know, it's just. It's, it's just what I actually think is that having a, you know, the notion of having a coherent political philosophy is just lost on most people. Most people just have this smorgasbord of opinions. But I actually think the non aggression principle as a notion is like a technology because it helps you slice through bullshit like butter. I'm sure I actually, bullshit probably slices like butter anyway. You can, you can, you can. It helps you make sense of what the policy should be. And I was listening to a presentation uh, a few months ago. And if anyone's listening, like check it out on YouTube. It's called like Janet Radcliffe Richards, Richard Norman. Are we still blinkered by pre-enlightenment thinking? And what I found interesting about it was it was a bunch of um, professional philosophers and, you know, philosophy official, the academy, universities, talking about various issues in terms of, are we not seeing these the way that modern people might? But none of them applied the non-aggression principle to the issues. Yeah. And I thought, if these people even had the non-aggression principle as a lens, 
perceive life through. It would really help them make sense of these issues because, you know, when you go to study philosophy in uni, what you get under ethics is Kant, which is basically um, act in a way that if everyone acted that way, it would be cool. And uh, Mel, you know, utilitarianism, the greatest number for the great, the greatest happiness for the greatest number. They don't study voluntarism or the NAP as a, as a moral philosophy. And I think that means they lose a very important and significant way of looking at philosophical problems. Um, and, you know, the other lenses might be useful. Wasn't, wasn't John Stuart Mill in a way a proto-libertarian? He was. Um, some would argue he was a classic liberal and he was for free markets. Towards the end of his life, he had some ideas that we might consider a bit more Marxist or, or traditionally anarchist as okay. a left-wing anarchist. And that he thought that labor should a cap should um, gather capital okay. rather than capital gathering labor. But hey, I don't see any contradiction to that with a lazy fear economy. If um, if laborers want to buy into the the company they work for, then more power to them, and they should be allowed to do that. So, Peter Hitchens, love you, man, but you. You're just so way off the mark, I think, when it comes to, uh, not I think, I know you're way off the mark when it comes to both drugs and free market. So. Yeah. And uh, Peter Hitchens, I don't love you. I mean, I, I love you in the sense that I love everyone because I have a respect for your humanity and I don't want anything bad to happen to you. But become a libertarian. Don't be a righty. Or a lefty.